You can remain standing for just one moment uh, as we read the Word of God today. Our passage for today comes out of the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your own copy, you can turn there or you can follow along on the screens. In 1 Peter chapter 1, this is verses 3 to 7. Let's hear God's Word together today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that, is per- that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, it's a blessing to come now uh, before your word and to celebrate the resurrection today. Lord, we know that apart from the resurrection, we would not have life or hope. And so, God, we pray that in these moments, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead would quicken our hearts to you and to who you are, and that you would draw us to you to glorify and magnify you, because you are the source of all good and perfect gifts, and we worship you today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Jim Stockdale was the name of a Navy military officer who was taken captive during the Vietnam War, and he was uh, the highest ranking Navy official uh, that was a prisoner of war during Vietnam. And he was uh, held for over seven and a half years, almost eight years, he was a prisoner of war. And during that time, he was, uh, you know, as he was in captivity, he was beaten numerous times, upwards of 20 times, uh, and many times to the, to the point of the brink of, of death, that he was very close uh, to not making it. And yet, uh, in the years that have come and the books he's written and interviews he's done, he said during that time he never lost hope that he was going to make it out of that prison. He said never lost hope that he was going to make it out of that prison. So there's one kind of confidence, right, one, one level of, uh, of assurance if he knew, you know, hey, for whatever reason, he knew he was going to make it out. But he also had a, a different level of confidence. He said he knew that when it was over, that experience going through that time as a prisoner of war would shape the rest of his life. That he wouldn't be able to be the same person after this time in such a difficult time of suffering like that. And uh, a a writer has interviewed him about him after he kind of read his story and heard about it. And the guy's named Jim Collins. And he said, you know, okay, you made it, but some others didn't. Who who didn't? What, What helped you make it through? And he said, the people who didn't make it through were the optimists. The optimists. They said, hey, I know we're going to make it home by Christmas this year. But then Christmas would come and it would go and they wouldn't make it. it oh, I know we're going to make it by Easter. But they would, Easter would come and go and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And that kept happening year after year. And eventually these people who were trying to just uh, pull together some kind of false optimism, that they actually would die of a broken heart. That's what, the way the guy described it. You see, there's a difference between having hope and having a, a false assurance, a false optimism, a, a simple form of optimism. You see, the optimist failed to confront reality. 
If we stood before you, if I stood before you today and I said, hey, because of the resurrection, because it's Easter Sunday, no bad things are going to happen to you. If you, if, you just, if you just believe that everything by the end of this month is going to work out great. You, you, I, could, I could rally you up and maybe if you were foolish, you may believe me or something. But you, you pretty quickly, you know, the end of the month would come and, and something bad would happen. And you'd say, oh, he meant next month. He meant next month. And, and you would try to convince yourself of this false optimism. And eventually you would just despair because that message doesn't, doesn't hold any weight. You see, hope is not about just trying to convince yourself that everything's going to work out fine. No, hope is confronting the realities we face, confronting really how hard life is, and finding a way to believe that something, something better is going on, that there's a purpose, there's a meaning, and that through the time of hardship, through the, the suffering, through the trials, there's something greater happening. Jim Collins, who wrote about this guy, uh, Jim Stockdale, he calls it the Stockdale Paradox. He said, you must refrain, I mean, sorry, you must retain faith that you will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties. And at the same time, you must confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that may be. Now, neither of those guys, to my knowledge, are Christians. Maybe, maybe they are. But as I, as I read that, I realized that that's a pretty good description of biblical hope. Biblical hope is not just trying to say, hey, everything's going to be fine and it's going to be okay. It's saying, hey, I will make it to the end, but things are really hard right now. Things are really hard right now. As Dan mentioned, I mean, it was my last Easter. This Sunday last Tuesday was my first Easter at Infinity Church, and there were five people here <laughs> in that little round circle, you know. And it was just this moment of, of, of great celebration. Christ was still alive, even though there was five people in the room, right? Christ is still alive, and yet hardship of knowing, man, this, this isn't how the world's supposed to be. We're supposed to be able to get together at Easter. This isn't how it's supposed to be. The last 12 plus months, I mean, you know, back to last Easter and, of course, before that too, we, we have been facing a pretty difficult world, haven't we? And really, this hasn't, uh, the, the new thing is the pandemic, but a lot of these things have been going on for a long time. Our, our world seems to be more polarized than ever before, doesn't it? Maybe it's social media's fault or the politician's fault or whoever it's his fault. We can point wherever we want, but, but we are living a polarized society. It seems like nobody's in the middle. Or at least that's what they say, and so then we feel like we're nobody's in the middle, you know? We, we live in a society where there's, there's a lot of hate and anger and, and stress, and, and elections are just, oh, so miserably stressful, and, and we're, just, we're just so torn at the seams. Uh, our smartphones are in our pockets, and we, we, we have access to so much information. There's so much good with that, and yet we're addicted, and we're always scrolling, and the social, we're, we're, we're worried about how we're using these things, and we're worried about how the people on the other side are using us as we're using these things. You know, we just... We just live in a crazy, crazy world. There was a guy who, who wrote a book. Uh, the, guy, the author's name is W.H. Auden, and he wrote a book called The Age of Anxiety. The Age of Anxiety. And I feel like just in the title, that captures our world, doesn't it? It captures the, the world we live in and being so stressful and just so many things tearing at us. And we're trying to figure out what to do with our kids and our parents are aging and we've got so many things pulling at us. That, that book, The Age of Anxiety, was, uh, was written in 1947. 1947. And that was at a time when the last, you know, four, a little over four decades, our, uh, our country had been through two world wars, the Spanish flu pandemic, the Great Depression, and was on the verge of the Cold War that was going to last for another, you know, uh, half a century. This 
feels in our world, we, we feel this stress and this anxiety, and yet we look back and realize this actually isn't anything new, is it? The world has been facing the, the anxieties and the stress and the pull. They change, the, you know, the, the, the specifics change, and, and year to year it ebbs and flows. It's not always the same, I'm not saying that, but we live in a society, before Christ comes back, we live in a world that's broken. And there's going to be the anxieties and the stresses that change and, and ebb and flow, and yet they're always going to be present until Christ comes back. So whether it's 2021 or 1947 or 3021, if Christ doesn't come back before then, you know what we need? We need hope. We need hope. If we live in a stressed out, anxious world with all kinds of problems and we don't have hope, then we, we won't be able to face it. Over and over again, counselors will tell us that, hey, one of the most prevailing uh, attributes of somebody going through depression or having suicidal thoughts is a loss of hope. It is really hard to cope with the next day and the next task before us if we lose hope. And whatever else may be facing you, if we don't have hope, it's, it's really hard to take that next thing, that next step. We all need hope. And yet, just trying to be simply optimistic, to just pick your head up, that'll work for a little while. Maybe you can get through the next step or the next thing. If you just you know, rally, rally your energy and say, hey, I, I believe the sun's coming up tomorrow, and it does. And, and you can kind of rally yourself for a while. But there's going to have to be, eventually, something, something more firm underneath your feet than just trying to build yourself up. Simple optimism is not the same thing as biblical hope. Today is Easter. Today is the day we celebrate the single most important event in all of human history. And today, on this day, I want to tell you that, that that event, that moment, is the source of hope that we all need. A risen Savior, the, the event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the firm foundation you and I can stand on, and that is the source of hope that we have to face our world. This Easter Sunday, the message I, I want to send you with, I want you to take home with you is that the resurrection offers us hope in Christ that we won't find anywhere else. Amen. You can go searching, you can go looking, but only in the hope of the resurrection in Christ. That's the only place we're going to find hope. The resurrection offers us hope in Christ that we won't find anywhere else. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 3. Again, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. These words are coming from the Apostle Peter. And if there's anybody that I'll listen to about how significant the resurrection was, it's Peter. Maybe you know a little bit of Peter's story. Peter was one of the closest disciples to Jesus Christ. He was one of the very first people who came and followed Jesus. And he did it in very dramatic fashion. Jesus was on the sea, beside the Sea of Galilee one day, and he called out to a group of fishermen, Peter being one of them, and he said, come and follow me. Peter and the other soon-to-be disciples, fishermen there, dropped their nets, left everything right there on the seashore, and followed Jesus. I tell you, there's got to be some hope. You've got you to think something about somebody. You've got to put a lot of hope in somebody if you're going to leave everything and follow this guy. For the next few years, Peter and the other disciples watched Jesus perform miracles. They watched Him teach with the kind of authority and wisdom they had never seen before. They watched as He ministered and they were amazed. 
One of the climaxes in Peter's story is that when Jesus is with his disciples at one point, he says, who do you say that I am? Other people had said, hey, he's a prophet, and he's, he's John the Baptist that's come back. And they had high praises of him, but never quite enough. But Peter was the one who saw through. He said, you are the Christ. That's a word that means Messiah. That means Savior. Peter, of all the disciples, he was the first one to recognize there's something different about him. This is the one God has sent. Peter had put his hope in Jesus. He had trusted in Jesus. Things were going good until the last week of Jesus' life, weren't they? The last 24 hours of Jesus' earthly life were pretty low for Peter. You see, the night before Jesus was crucified, they, they shared a meal together, and we celebrated the Lord's Supper here last Sunday. And in that meal, after they'd eaten, Jesus told Peter, told the disciples, told him about Peter. He said, before the rooster crows, three times you're going to deny me. Peter said, of course not, of course not, Jesus. I've been following you all these years. Why, why would I deny you now? But sure enough, as they were out in the garden, Jesus asked him to pray, and Peter, being maybe a little bit tired, fell asleep on the Savior the night before he's crucified. Falls asleep there in the garden. Jesus is going away, pray, wakes him up a few times, and it's no use. Peter and the disciples keep sleeping, but they come and they arrest Jesus, and the disciples scatter. They scatter. They're so afraid of Jesus being uh, taken off and arrested that they don't want to be in the same boat, and so they scatter. Peter finds a way back to come and to kind of follow Jesus at a distance to figure out what's going on and keep track. And somebody comes up to him and recognizes him as being from Galilee. And he said, hey, you, you must be one of Jesus' disciples. But Peter denies it and says, I don't know him. It happens two more times. People come and they assume, surely you are with Jesus, Peter. And he denies him three times. And after the third time, the rooster crows and Peter remembers what Jesus had told him. That in Jesus' greatest hour of need, Peter had turned his back on his Savior. Peter had lost hope in the one who had, had, had the ability to give him hope. Peter had lost hope in him. The next day, as the day goes on, he's tried. Jesus is crucified, and we don't know exactly where Peter was, but he's, somehow he's aware of this. He knows Jesus dies. Jesus' Jesus's body is put in a tomb. And just imagine how Peter felt that night, that Friday night. The last 24, 36 hours have been the worst time of his entire life. He had had so much hope in Jesus, and now he's at the very bottom. He's in total despair. He feels hopeless. Can you imagine that? I don't know how long for Peter those days felt. I don't even know if he slept between Friday and Sunday morning. But if he did, I imagine those dreams were filled with anxieties and stresses and worried about what had just happened. How could this be? He had so much hope, and now he has to feel hopeless. You just know he had to feel hopeless. And so if there's anybody I'm going to listen to about how important the resurrection is, it's that guy. It's Peter. Maybe you noticed that as Caitlin read the, the account in Luke, when the women come back and report about the empty tomb, Peter has to go see for himself. He runs to go see and try to figure out what's going on. Mark, as he captures the details uh, of the resurrection, he captures a line that's not recorded uh, in Luke. And he, one of the uh, angels says this, this is Mark 16, 6 and 7. The angel said, he has risen, speaking of Jesus, he has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, so he's talking to the, they're talking to the women, they say, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. The angel knew Peter was having a hard time. 
He could have just said, tell the disciples. Peter was one of the disciples. That would have been enough, right? But he calls out Peter by name. He says, I want to make sure, don't forget to tell Peter. Because Peter needed to hear, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, we can have hope. Because Jesus is alive, we can have hope. The resurrection offers us hope in Christ that we can't find anywhere else. We certainly try to, don't we? We put our hope in all kinds of things, just saying, hey, things will get better. I'll trust in this for a little while, and this will keep me happy. This will keep me entertained. This will be a place where I can find joy. Maybe you've got a, I know a number of people are on spring break this week. Maybe you've got vacation this week or looking forward to vacation this summer or, or even just an extended weekend, and, and you say, I just, I just can't wait for that moment where I can just prop my feet up finally. And then this, this will make me happy. And maybe it will. Maybe it'll live up to it, but... Then it ends, doesn't it? And you got to get back to the real world, as we say. Maybe we put our, our hopes in finances and say, hey, uh, this job is on the horizon or, or, or retirement's on the horizon. And, and if I get to this point financially, then things will be okay. And, and I've got hope because this is going to get better financially. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. We have high hopes in our family. We have dreams of you know, marriage is going well, and we have hopes about our kids and how great they're going to turn out. Maybe you've, uh, you or others have had hopes about athletic uh, successes. You want to you make it in college. You want to make it to professional sports. And even if you make it there, the time comes to an end, doesn't it? Eternity is forever. Our lives are not. And all the little parts of our lives that we, for a little while, can put our hope in, they can be good gifts from God, but they're... They're not strong enough. They're not a rock we can stand on as the place of our ultimate hope. Even the greatest achievements that exceed expectations are still temporary. Do you know what, do you know what the death rate is? My pastor growing up said this a hundred times. I just I can't help but share it. You know what the death rate is? 100%. Always has been. 100%. Every single person is destined to die at some point until Christ returns. And death stands at the end of our lives and, and at, the end, at the end of our timeline and, and, and it casts a mighty big shadow over everything. If we don't have a plan for that, if we don't have a plan for, for, for death, then, then what do we do between here and there? If we have no answer for it, it's almost impossible to have a, a real source of hope because we make it could be energetic for a while. It could be optimistic for a while. But if we don't have a plan for that day, then that day is just going to cast a really big shadow over everything else. So that's why this Easter morning we hold on to this, that the resurrection and the resurrection alone offers us hope. Death does not have the final say because Christ has proven He is more powerful than death itself. The grave doesn't have the final word because Jesus came out of it, proving that this is not the ultimate reality. This is not the ultimate truth. This is not the way things are meant to be. And Jesus has a plan for that day. No, instead of death casting a long shadow over our lives, the resurrection from 2,000 years ago shines a bright spotlight over our lives, putting light and life in our lives. Because Christ came back to life and because He has promised that we too who believe in Him will have a new life, a resurrected life in Him. Because of that, 
death doesn't have the final say. It isn't the end for us. Christ's resurrection 2,000 years ago and our promised resurrection when Christ returns are both like spotlights that cast out the shadow that death tries to put over us. Victory over the grave is better and it's proven it lasts. Peter helps us see that this morning when he ties, our resurrect, the, ties Jesus' resurrection very closely to hope. So I, I want to make sure you see this. I want to make sure you see how the resurrection is the source of our hope today. And I want to make sure you see just how, how great this is that God makes this possible. We said resurrection offers us hope in Christ that we won't find it anywhere else. So I want to show you, I want to point to three different places this, this shows up in our lives and in this passage today. And the first place is in the future. The first place is in the future. Our hope is guaranteed. It is certain. It is sure. Our hope is guaranteed for the future. There, there's no doubt. There's no question mark. It's not wishy-washy 50%. I hope it's going to turn out maybe, possibly. No, the hope we have in Christ is certain. He describes it. He ties uh, the living hope we have very closely to inheritance. Verse 3 and 4, listen to those again. He says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So living hope and inheritance. We all know what an inheritance is, right? When somebody passes away, they've got a will, and whatever stuff is here, they divide up between their loved ones. Maybe you get a little bit of money. Maybe you get a house. Maybe you get a boat. Maybe you get a car. Maybe you just get a, you know, grandma's sewing machine, whatever, you know. Inheritance is, is something they, they give to you after death. Christ has offered us an inheritance that's far better than grandma's sewing machine, far better than anything in this world. He's offered us the inheritance of a resurrected life. He's offered us to a new body. Christ came, he, he took on a real body when he came to earth. And when he resurrected, he had a new glorified body. It was a human body. It is a human body, but it is resurrected. It is glorious. And that new body is what our inheritance is for eternity. You and I will not be stuck here with the aches and pains of our human body as it is in is this form. We won't be stuck in a world that's full of grief and sorrow and, and, and anguish and so many pains and struggles. We won't live in a world with hurricanes and tornadoes and pandemics. We're going to live with God in a new heaven and a new earth. That is the glorious inheritance that's ahead of us. And it is as sure as anything in this world. It is more sure than that, in fact. In the Old Testament, God describes an inheritance for His people as the promised land. That's, that's the inheritance that they're looking forward to as they come up out of Egypt. He says, there's a land flowing of milk and honey, and that's going to be your inheritance. And it's this picture of how everything's going to be great. And yet, because of their sin, because of our sin, it doesn't always go so great. Even that inheritance was pointing forward to what Christ was going to offer, the, the, the better promised land. That is eternity. That is heaven with Him. He says it is undefiled, meaning it's perfect. You're not going to mess it up. It's, it's not going to get a blemish or a spot. It's unfading. It won't wear out. Jesus elsewhere teaches us about, about heaven, about eternity, that there moth won't destroy, rust will not destroy. This is unfading. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. That's why we can say it is guaranteed. 
You see, in, in English, the way, we, the way we use the word hope, I don't know if it's an English thing or just a culture thing, I don't know. We, we use the, the word hope so many times to talk about uh, something that's uncertain, right? We say things like, I hope my team's going to win this game today. And even if they're favored to win, you don't know it, right? You just, you hope it. That's what we say. Or we say, I, I hope I get to, to leave work early today. I hope the boss is in a good mood and I get to go home in a good time. Or I hope there's enough food for our, for our Easter egg event here, you know, and, you know, we get way more people here. And, you know, it was, it was close, you know. We hope. That's the way we talk about it. But the Bible does not use the word hope that way. It's very different. Sometimes it's hard as we read the Bible to hear this. But John Piper said this way. He said, Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future, but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it doesn't just expect it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. There is a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will be done. Hope in the Bible is not like a wishy-washy, maybe it'll happen. Hope in the Bible is about confidence. It's about profound certainty. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we can have that kind of certainty in who He is and what He promises us. Peter writes at the end uh, of that verse that our hope is our inheritance and it's kept in heaven for you. I love that. Like if something is really valuable, maybe you got a safe at home. Maybe you lock it up and it's, it's kept there and you know that, that nobody's going to be able to break into it. Or maybe you take your money you don't want to just hide it under the mattress or dig a hole. So you take it to the bank because you know you can trust it. It's going to stay there. Maybe if you had something really valuable and he had some kind of special permission, you got to put something at Fort Knox and you're like, it is kept there, guaranteed for me. Nobody's going to touch it. All of that pales in comparison to what God has promised you. Your life, your inheritance is kept not just in your safe at home or the bank or Fort Knox. It's kept in heaven for you. There's nothing more sure than that. Nothing more confident than that. And what he promises us for the last time is a salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. In the end, he says in verse 5, we will have a salvation ready to be revealed. We can't see it yet, but on the final day, we will be saved fully and we will be with him. Because there is a sense in which we, are, we, think we can feel the brokenness of the world today. And so there's a coming future that's going to be better, our full salvation with him. And because Jesus arose, that is guaranteed, it's promised. The resurrection offers us hope that, that we can't find anywhere else, and we see it in the future. But that future also shines a light back onto the present, doesn't it? Verse 3 again, he says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So your hope is in the future, but it's also in the present. Our hope is living in the present. As Christians, if, if we only had the hope for the future, it'd be hard to face tomorrow knowing I don't know how long it is before Christ comes back. I don't know how long it's going to be so everything works out. But the, the glorious good news of the gospel is it's not just in the future, it is today. Eternity starts today in your walk with the Lord. We have a living hope. Jesus is alive today. He is alive today, and you can know Him today. You see, the resurrection is a historical fact in history. Like, it, it happened. But if, the, if it's just something in history, if it hasn't happened to you then you won't know it. You won't be able to enjoy it. But Christ tells us that we have life with Him. We are being guarded through faith. So this faith in walking with Jesus is more secure 
than Fort Knox for eternity because we are living with him now. Billy Graham famously, when he was asked, how do you really know, you know? I mean, how do you really know that Jesus is alive? How do you really know there really is a God? And he said, well, I uh, talked to him this morning. <laughs> we, Jesus had to come, okay? It's not just we, we, we feel like, you know, we want to be a uh, Christian or whatever. He, he had to really come. But then the way we experience him is that he has come into our lives and we, we talk to him. Amen. You see, our hope is, is in the future, but it's also today. As you live your life walking with Jesus, that's a picture of a living hope. I love that phrase. You're a li- this is a living hope. We get to live with Jesus because he is alive. He's alive and he's reigning today. He resurrected and he is alive today. You see, Peter goes on to describe one more reason that's, that's so important for our daily lives. He's not just an optimist, right? He didn't just say, hey, things are going to be okay and you'll be all right. In fact, he's writing a letter to a group of people who things are not okay for. You see, many times we think if, if I become a Christian, then, then things will be better. Then the things will, will go easier for me. But here, as Peter is writing to this group of people, the people he's writing to, when they put their faith in Jesus, when they became a Christian, things got harder for them. Because people persecuted them. People were hard on them. People were were giving them a hard time for being a Christian. So being a Christian made life harder, not easier. And he says, even in that moment, there's hope. There is hope. Peter, in fact, says we can rejoice in that. Verse 6, he says that we rejoice though we've been grieved by various trials. How does that go together? How How does joy and grief fit together. That seems like that should be opposites, right? And yet he says it's in the the, the grief that we can experience joy. And this, I think, is the the incredible good news of the resurrection. Because if it it was just about escaping this world, well, I still see the struggles, right? How, How do we find joy right here? How does the resurrection change the way we live today? How do we have living hope for now in the middle of the hardship? And it's in this, finding joy in the sorrows. Edmund Clowney says he moved, Peter moves quickly from ecstasy to agony, joy to grief. How do we face that today? If there was no resurrection, there would be no hope for the sorrows. If, if, if the, this life was all there was, then we would just try to just stay as carefree, as, just be comfortable, just make life as fun as you can because you only got a certain amount of days and it's over and it's done. There's nothing else to it. You know, there's other places the Bible goes, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? If it's just the end, if it's just death and you're done, then, then why go through hard things? Well, there'd be no point. Just, just try to be happy. That would be all there is to it. The Bible talks about our life as having a much greater purpose than that. And in verse 7, he compares it to the way that, that gold is refined. You know how gold is refined? When, you, when somebody mines gold out of a mountain, It doesn't come together in this nice big block that's pure and perfect, right? It comes mixed with all kinds of other rocks and minerals and other kinds of metals. And so you know how they get the pure gold? They run it through fire. They bring it through fire, something that's hot, something that's dangerous. And they call that stuff dross, all the other stuff in it. And by running it through super hot fire, they can get all the impurities out. And Peter says... That's what our trials are like. Because you see, when we're with Christ, eventually we're, we're going to be perfectly pure. We're going to be purer than the purest gold. In fact, he says, he, he says what we have is greater than gold. 
our faith, our new faith in Him, our, our, our pure faith in Him is going to be everlasting. It's eternally better than gold. Gold is perishing. But your faith is eternal. So that means when you come through the fire, when you come through hardships, when you come through trials and struggles, if those things are pulling out impurities from your life, if you come through a hardship and you know Jesus better, if you rely on Him more, then it's, it's worth it. It's bringing you to a place of being more pure, more like Jesus Christ. The only way you're going to endure hardships with joy is that you trust there's a purpose. You trust that there's a meaning, that this has purpose, that God is at work in a major way. Otherwise, when you look at trials, you look at hardships, you say, what's the, what's the point, God? I thought it was just about being comfortable and happy. And that's going to be a miserable way to live. If you just think, hey, this will be over by Christmas, this will be over by Easter, this will be over by Thanksgiving, you're going to rise and fall with the despairs and the flows of, of circumstances. But if you say, God, come what may, I trust you're in charge, and I trust that you in the end are going to make all things right. And so whatever you bring me through now, it's a fire, and you must be purifying me. So however you want to purify me, God, by your strength and your strength alone, I'll take it. I'll take it. The world doesn't, doesn't live like that. Only Christians live like that. Everybody else sees hardships as things to be avoided at all cost. But if we look at the trials of this life as just one more way that God is at work, then we can find joy even in the sorrows, even in the grief. We can have faith, we can have joy even in the fire. That's what the resurrection gives us. It gives us hope, not just on the good days, it gives us hope in the hardships, hope in the trials. Our hope is guaranteed for the future and it's living in the present because we know He's at work even now. And that is true for everybody who believes in Jesus. You see, I've said that the hope is something that's sure for the future, it's living now, but it's also, there's something important about the past. Your hope has to be anchored in the past, anchored in the historical reality of Jesus Christ coming and living and dying and resurrecting. That, that had to happen for our faith to have any, anything to stand on, any anchor. But there's also another step in the past that had to take, take place. You had to be born again. You had to be born again. You see, if you don't have faith, if you don't believe in Jesus, then we don't have hope. There's no hope without faith in Christ. Our Jesus' past resurrection is a reality we need to have hope, but we also need God to come and apply that to our lives. He describes that in verse 3 when He says, He caused us, past tense, He caused us to be born again. The reason the Christian has future hope and present hope is that we have a new life. We have a new heart. As Christians who believe in Jesus, we once were lost and now we're found. There was a past problem that God has now solved. We were once sinners, and we're still sinning, but God has redeemed us and saved us to be in His presence and to be His children. We were dead, and now we are alive. You see, this is what happens when God's at work, when He begins to work in our lives. He sends His Spirit who begins to open up our hearts and our eyes, and we see our sin for the first time. And for the first time, we see that we need a Savior. You see, new life, new birth is that God has come and He has brought your heart to life for the very first time. 
John records when Jesus speaks to a man named Nicodemus, and Jesus tells him, you must be born again. He said, how can I enter again into my mother's womb? That doesn't make sense. He says, no, 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 you must be born of the Spirit. You must be born of the Spirit. The Spirit has to be at work in your heart so that you see your sin and you see that we need a Savior to pay for it. We need a Savior to redeem us and to restore us to a right relationship with Him. The only way we can have future hope of the resurrection, of that time with God in heaven when everything's going to be perfect, the only way we can have hope today that everything is in, that God's in charge of everything and He's working it for good and he's, he's making us more like Him, the only way that's possible is if before He has brought us to life. He has applied the resurrection to us. He has made us new. God has to do something in your past in order to bring you to that hope. And if God has been at work in your life recently, maybe through the last 12 months, the ups and downs of the pandemic and all that's been, maybe, maybe you need to come before Him today and say, God, I, I, need, to, I need to receive that again. I need, I need to recognize the work you're doing. Maybe God's been at work in your life in a special way. Maybe you already knew Jesus, but, but for, the, for the first time in a while, you need to come and lay your life down and say, God, I, I need to submit to you again. I need to, I need to come before you and say, I'm a sinner. And the only way I have hope is because of the resurrection. The only way I have hope is because you brought me to life. Maybe you need to come and do that today to say, I, I need you, Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you, you've, you've never heard about Jesus or you know only a little bit about him. You're, you're not sure really what it means to be a Christian and, and you've got some questions and you say, I, I don't have hope because I don't have Jesus and I, I, need, I need him today. Maybe this Easter Sunday as we celebrate new life, the new life that Christ has, Maybe He wants to work that new life in you. Maybe He wants to bring you to life today. This Wednesday, I got a phone call from a family who I hadn't talked to in a little while, but I love dearly. And uh, Miss Barbara Watson was 83 years old, and she passed away on Tuesday. And they called me and asked if I would do a, a graveside service for them on Friday. And I said, of course, I'll be there. I'm so sorry for your loss. And it wasn't until I hung up the phone and realized what day Friday was. It was Good Friday. On Friday, I stood in a cemetery beside a, a grave that had been dug, and I put my hand on a, a casket for a woman who put her faith in the Lord in 1964, I think it was. And on Good Friday, I stood there beside a, a, a tomb that was about to be, you know, this lady was about to be lowered in it, and I thought, man, what a special day. What a special day to stand over a tomb knowing this tomb isn't going to hold Miss Barbara. Her body, yes, is going into the tomb. Her soul is with the Lord now. But because she had faith in Jesus, the day that we celebrate today, the resurrection, is coming for her too. She has new life in Christ. Death is not the end for her. And for everybody who believes, death's not the end for you either. You see, there's only one source of hope, and His name is Jesus. And the only way we know that... It's because He came, He lived the perfect life, He died in your place and in my place on a cross and then went in a tomb, but the tomb couldn't hold Him. He came back to life. Today, I, I want you to be able to experience that life. Maybe you, you've been walking with the Lord, but you, you need to receive it in a new way today. Say, I, I haven't had hope. Maybe you need to hear that first verse, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today your attitude needs to say, I, I need to worship you in a new way today. 
Or maybe for you, as you've been going through trials, through hardships, you would say, God, I've been, I've been grumpy about this. I've been bitter about this. I need to be able to trust that you're at work. God, if you can overcome a grave, if you can use a, uh, the crucifixion of the son, perfect Son of God, if you can use that for good, then you can use whatever I'm going through for good, and I'll trust you through it. Or maybe you've never put your faith in Christ, and today you need to say, for the first time, I, I submit to Him because I need that hope, and I know I won't find it anywhere else. You can pray there in your seat. You can email us. You can text us later. But maybe, maybe today you want to come pray at the altar. Or maybe you want to come pray with me. But I pray that you respond today in faith and you'll respond today in hope. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we so desperately need you. God, we confess that we turn to all kinds of things in this world trying to find hope. And they, they can't support it. They don't last forever. God, for a little while we can entertain ourselves and be optimistic and, and just try to make it through the next season. But God, it's failed over and over again. So God, we come to you today as we celebrate the resurrection, as we celebrate new life. God, acknowledging apart from your work, we have no hope. So God, for all of those of us who believe in you today, we, God, we affirm and we bless you, the Lord. We bless you, the Father, over, over all. Bless you as the Father who is the one who sent His Son to save us. God, we bless you today. And we thank you for giving us hope. God, we pray that we would, we would trust you in a new way today. That we would, we would trust that you're at work. And we would leave this resurrection day worshiping you today. But God, I also pray for any who do not yet have that hope. That today is we consider death. We consider the resurrection. God, we pray that they too would put their faith in you. That we would confess that we are sinners. And we would trust in you for salvation. Father, I pray that you be at work in a way that only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.